0: So what I want us to jump into is this right here, and we're going to focus more on the end of this chapter because, like we said last week, the end of chapter eleven and the beginning of chapter twelve is what the whole rest of Kings is going to be about. Um, you know, so if you read like verses, I think it was thirty-four through uh, through thirty-nine, you know, we're seeing from last week in chapter eleven, we're seeing exactly what's going to take place over the the nation of Israel uh, for years and years until they're captured by the by the Assyrians. Also, um, two hundred years later. So, so here's what I want us to jump into. And, uh, I was kind of thinking, you know, so anybody like to learn lessons the hard way? Or am I the only one like that? There you are know, some of the lessons I need to learn. They're just, oh, so some people get pointed at. If you're pointing at somebody, I like how you did that though, because you don't have any fingers pointing back at you. So that was smart. Uh, I was going to say you got fingers coming back, but someone's like to learn lessons the hard way. And I was thinking this morning, I'm not a farmer by no means, uh, but one thing I've learned just working at the shop is when somebody says, do y'all do tractor tires? My ego says yes, because we do it all, big or small. Oh, uh, you know, but. I've learned that a tractor tire can be like a tire this big, or it can be a tire that's like, you know, this big. Um, that you got to get out there with like pry bars bigger than yourself to pry on. It's just crazy. Um, you know, so I was thinking as funny as it sounds, you know, the prayer for God to tell up the soil, man, God, God sometimes got to pull out his big tractor. You know, that little tractor gets certain jobs done, but sometimes God got to pull out the big tractor and get like through the roots and the rock and the, and the, and the clay and the be, I mean, he, sometimes he just got to dig deep. Um, and when you got to dig deep, you need a, you need a tractor with bigger tires. Um, you know, so so I'm thinking like I'm glad I'm not the only one. I know at least a couple of you like to learn lessons the hard way. And you say well, I don't really like. Yes, you do because you wouldn't choose to keep doing it if you didn't enjoy it. Uh, so something about you likes learning the hard way. Um, the better way to do it, and some of you who didn't raise your hand uh, may learn it this way is to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Um, you let them do the mistaking, and then you do the the follow through and the and get through. When we open Scripture, that's what we get. We get a lot of positive lessons and a whole lot of negative lessons. And people read it and they're like, man, why is all that negativity in Scripture? Because the Lord wants you to learn from it. He don't want you to follow suit you know, with this stuff. Some people sometimes will point out, man, that's in Scripture and that's in Scripture. And those things are wrong. Yes, they're wrong. Uh, they're there to show you what is wrong. Uh, so just as much as Scripture shows you what is right, Scripture also should be teaching us what is wrong. Uh, so positive and negative affect um, and the smart people are willing to learn the other way. Uh, here with today, though, at the end of this chapter, and really even at the beginning of this chapter, what we get is it's bad when one person crash and burns. But it's real bad when whoever crash and burns takes down a whole nation. You know, And some of you know exactly, maybe not a whole nation, but some of you can relate with, with one crash and burn taking down a whole marriage. One crash and burn taking down a whole family. One crash and burn taking down a church. one One crash and burn taking down a company. One crash and burn taking down a another group or another organization um and, and so forth and so on what we get today is one person's big crash and burn probably probably one of the worst well i can actually prove it's one of the worst because of what's quoted about him here in just a minute um you know it leads a whole nation to division which is just ugly in itself and that's at the very beginning that we see it leads a whole nation to idolatry and to judgment um and god takes idolatry like very seriously uh i if I, if i'm right with with my google search he talks about idolatry like 111 times Actually using the word. So, so if God talks about it that much, it's probably kind of important. Um, and you say, that's an Old Testament thing. No, because he's got it in Genesis, but he's also got it later on in John, right before Revelation. So he's got it at the end as well. Okay. Uh, so, which we'll get to at the very end of our, our, stuff as well. So as we look at this thing, here's what I want you to see first about this guy that we're really going to focus on. Um, so this, this Jeroboam, uh, figure. Twenty times throughout, throughout Kings and a little bit in the Chronicles, it says he made Israel sin. Now, no, I understand that nobody makes somebody else sin, but we've got to understand what the scriptures is saying here. What it's saying is he was so evil, and he was so dominant in his evilness or, or his persuasiveness, you could say, because he, he tempts them with a lot of good stuff. When you really think about it, that he, he almost you know sets up the slide for them to go down. Um, it, it says it this way, and tell me you wouldn't want this on your on your tombstone. First Kings chapter fourteen. So so a couple chapters later, Stephen came to me, he goes, man, I'd have looked on the screen and. And put up verses from chapter 11, chapter 14. I am still reading just 12, right? And I was like, yes, just 12, just 12. But, but we got to look at all of it because Kings is, remember, it's a history book. So 1 Kings 14, 9 and 10. Here's what God says about this guy. Hopefully this is something that is never said about us. He said, you behave more wickedly than all who were before you. That's wicked, right? Could you imagine like if God... Had to tell you that. Like, you behave more wicked than anybody else who ever existed in your So when we talk about learning from the past, what we need to understand is, is God has set up the past for us to learn from so that we don't live more wickedly than those before us. We should be, now are we going to be perfect? No, but every generation ought to be getting more equipped to get better and better and better and, and, and better. Um, you know, you could say, you know, I want to be better than my, than my dad and I, I want my kids to be better than me and then I want my grandkids to be even better than them and, and so forth kind of like our walk with Christ. We should be getting better every day. Um, if you stay the same, that stagnant, stagnant water dies. Um, you got a problem there. So, so if you're staying the same, that, that should be a huge red flag. So I want to be getting better. You, you behave more wickedly than all those who were before you. In order to provoke me, you have proceeded to make yourself and other gods and cast images. So, so God's like calling this guy out. He's going, man, you were poking me in the chest. Now, now you can poke some people in the chest. Maybe you're from peace country. But eventually, we've talked about it on Wednesday night. You poked that man in the chest too many times, and he's gonna snap. And that's what God gets at, because you poked me in the chest. You provoked me by making yourself other gods and cast images. Which I think God's kind of like laughing. He's like, I'm, "I'm not made," but yeah, you had to make gods to, to get to get other gods. You know, so, so maybe on inside's ways thinking. Uh, flung back behind me because of all this, man. I'm either getting blind or that dark ink's bad. <laughs> I will bring about disaster to that to your house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring disaster to your house. I'm gonna eliminate all of the, all the males, the slaves, and, and all of them. I'm gonna sweep away the house. So look, look at this. God, God is so serious. He's flat out saying, You poked me enough, you've been the worst thing ever. And because of that, I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe you out. I'm gonna wipe out your, your line, your, your lineage. Um, so not something you'd want to hear. So if you don't want to follow suit with this, let's learn from his four mistakes. All right, let's not learn the hard way. Let's be wise, like we said at the beginning, and learn from some other people's mistakes. So we're going to focus primarily on 25 through 33, but beforehand, we do need to kind of look at what, what set this whole thing up. And again, we can skip over some of these, not skip it over reading them, but we skip over elaborating on them because we're going to for weeks to come. We're going to elaborate on the end of 11 and the beginning of 12, realistically, probably throughout the rest of Kings. We'll, we'll have references back to them, okay? So, so here you got so far, for those that haven't to our series. You've got three kings that have been over Israel so far. You've got King Saul, you've got King David, you've got King Solomon. 120 years. Now, here's what's awesome. Now, we know a lot of those kings had their problems and all that kind of stuff. But for 120 years, they've been a united monarchy, which is awesome. I and mean, God calls us to be united, calls us to be together when we're his. All right. So for 120 years, there's been no division. There's been no civil war. It's been united. And then Solomon dies. At the beginning of this chapter, we see his son, Rehoboam. I notice it's kind of confusing because we got all these uh, Boehm's. Uh, these are not brothers from different... It's sitting Jerry Boehm and, and Ray Bohm this is, this is two totally different family lines, not related at all. Uh, Ray Boehm gets involved because his uh, family was working for, for the king, and then he bumped himself up a little bit and got in a different position, and, and, and he just worked his way up uh, to get there, whereas the other one obviously is, is Solomon's son, um, and, and rightly so. So anyway, this this young king... Uh, Rehoboam, the actual king, of, son of Solomon, takes over. He's and he gets charged as king. He's young. He's inexperienced. So the people come to him when they realize he's going to be king, which I think is a good sign that people know they can go to their leadership. Okay, so so they go to the leadership and they tell him, man, your dad's been wearing us out. Now you think about where we've studied so far, we we can understand. He used 180-something thousand workers to, to get stuff accomplished. He's been putting people basically into a type of slavery to get jobs done. He's been taxing them like crazy. We talked about his, his expansion of gold and silver and all this stuff. So, so we, we can relate where these people are at. We may relate very dearly with where they're at um, as time goes on. So, so what they're looking at him, though, is this. So the so thing that when you see these people come to you and say, man, your, your dad's been working on us. Your dad's been taxing us. They almost see this guy as, as he could be a, a, a second Moses. Think about what they're comparing. You know, it's, it's almost like we're back in slavery under under Pharaoh. Um, you can you can set us free. So so they tell him this, and they say, man, we just we just want some some ease. And if you will ease up on us, we'll be so loyal to you, and, and we'll be under you, and then things will be great. So this guy, being young, he's smart. Young people listen to this, th- at least the first part. He says, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm gonna go talk to to a bunch of older guys who are wise in their counsel. So he goes and he tells them, hey, this is what the people are saying. What do I do? And these wise people tell him you say, Man, you 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 do what they're telling you. Like you you ease up. Your dad, your dad was pretty rough. You know, he got a lot accomplished and things were great, and we were in peace for a long time, but he was a rough guy. Like ease up on him and and do this thing, start start your 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 monarchy the right way, um and keep things going. But we get this thing, especially when we're young. We're like if we get advice we don't like, we just go get advice from another source. Have y'all ever realized that? So now you young people listen up because you're dumb. You know, you, you were very much. not not any, I mean, we were dumb, too. We're still dumb uh, a lot of ways. Some of us still still fall into this line. But we get in a trap of, of when we, we don't like what we heard. We just go read another book. Or if we didn't like what that one said, we watch another movie. Or if we didn't like, here's the bad part. When we don't like what one verse says, we just find another verse. Don't we? Now I'm glad you're not laughing because it's serious and it's sad. But that's what we do. This guy's no different. He doesn't really like what the wise people said. He didn't like what the people told him. You know, I I don't want to be the boss and the people tell me what to do as soon as I start to take over. So he goes to some of his young friends. Worst thing you could do is seek advice from people who ain't never been in leadership positions. You understand that? There's a reason your mom, dad, and and those wiser than you or those in jobs ahead of you, there's a reason they can give you good advice. They've been there. They've walked the road. What makes us think we can talk to people who've never walked that road and drove that path and get good advice? You know, it's like, like asking somebody who's poor how you save money. Don't take any advice they give you. If they're poor, they can't tell you how to save money. Um, you know, it's like asking somebody who's got a failed relationship how to make your marriage work. If their marriage failed, don't Lord have mercy. Now, now let me, let me step aside. Unless they've been redeemed by the Lord of God, and they can give you lessons from learning the hard way, like we do in scripture. Okay. So there is a difference. There is a difference. But don't ask him why they're in the middle of a divorce, why they hate that son of a gun and everything else, you know, that's going on. OK, but that's what we do. And that's what he does. He goes to his young friends. He says, man, what do you guys think? And his friends say, man, don't punk out. You tell them people like you thought your daddy was bad. My daddy was bad. I'm the man. So he's dumb enough to follow through with that advice. So look at what he does. And you can really call this like it's inauguration day. First state of the union message and just a piece of it, just a piece of it. We're not gonna focus on First Kings chapter 12, verse 14. And this is what he says. He says, my father made your yoke heavy. I'm going to make it even heavier. You, you wanted me to lighten it. I'm going to put more weight on. My father scored you with whips. I'm going to score you with scorpions. Young punks sounding like they got something going for them. Right. And that is the biggest turning point for what's going to take place for us. Kings, because from here on out, the Civil War starts. The split of the kingdom, which, which, which we read about just a little bit. It goes in. We've got 10 of 12 tribes going north. The uh, the other two, some of you are saying, hold on, there's only one. Well, Judah and Benjamin, anyway, long lesson in the future. We'll get to it. I promise. So, so, so we got all this going, and they never, here's the that part, they never recover from this. We never see a united nation under one king uh, again. So it's super, super sad. And it starts with this. It says, you know, we're going to look at these, this divided kingdom, but it starts with the northern kingdom. And it says the northern kingdom under Jeroboam, they fell into idolatry for 200 years, guys. One one group of mistakes forces this nation to stay in this trap for 200 years until the only here's here's the sad part the only thing that wakes them up this is 722 BC the only thing that wakes them up is they get they get taken captive by the Assyrians and they finally like a light goes off oh we've been doing it wrong you know well, I, I, it blows my mind though you think about how often it is though we get in traps and and we put ourselves and we stay there for a long period of time until like. Ding. You guys like you didn't have to stay this long if you would have just wisened up, man. Right. So the question is why. So here's his four mistakes he makes that I think sometimes we make And Please apply this to every area of our life. This is not just a, a one area life. OK, first thing he does. He feared losing power. Now, I'm going to be honest. So if you haven't been with us or if you didn't know, we do a verse by verse series. OK, I always give this warning when too many things line up with what's going on in the world. Verse by verse, I could not have decided to be right here today on my own. You, you you understand that, right? So it's not like not like Pastor said, I'm gonna find something that. No, I didn't. I try to stay away from from what's going on, right? And the Lord like lines it up to a T. I mean, He lined the music up to a T. He lines everything up to a T. Because He's God, and when God is in control, and we give Him that control, this is what happens. Okay. So if you're going through something in your life or you're watching the news because you're going to see a lot of lines being being connected, you don't have to say, man, pastor's amazing. No, you say God's amazing. He drew all the lines and connected everything, okay? Anyway, point one, verse 26. He feared losing power. Look at 26. Verse 26, he says this. Jeroboam said to himself, the kingdom might now return to the house of David. Instantly, first thing that happens When he takes over is he gets scared. And here's why. People who fear losing power, they have a lust for power. You understand that? When you fear losing power, that's your number one fear. That means you have a lust for power. Now, that's always the weakness. Never should should a lust for power be seen as a strength. All right? What we also see, though, with this guy is he's an insecure leader. I mean, think about it. A confident leader, what would he say? Go down there. Check it out. I know my kingdom's better. Right? Now, we do this in our marriages. So understand this this relates to so many other things. Somebody who's insecure in their marriage, they're afraid of the other person going somewhere, checking something out. Right. I set the tone with Crystal. I told her straight up. You can go to college and see all them cute little smart little college guys. I can beat them all up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like I'm secure. I do tractor tires for a living. They pick up paper and they got little glasses and they're little lawyer nerds. I will wipe the floor with all of them. You know what I'm saying? So, So I set the tone. I'm secure. Right. If not, I'll make it secure. <laughs> but 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 think about think about what this says for our leadership on a serious note. This guy is so scared. And this this is what sets everything up. Notice this is the downward. Remember, I told you point four is going to be get away from the word of God. So, so, so his fear sets up everything else. And what does he say? I'm so worried about them being drawn back. So they go down there and they check out worship the right way. If they go back to the original house of God that's been made, if they do all this stuff and they see Solomon's son who's doing things, I'm afraid that they'll not want to come back. And when you're so afraid of losing power, here's the biggest thing. You've forgotten who gave you power. Right? See, some of us, I fell into a trap this week. So I confess to you guys. I already confessed to God, so it's okay to confess to you. I fell into a trap getting really worried about this stupid election. I did. Like and, and I don't know why, because I set up all week praying with the kids on, on God picking the leader. We use verses, you know, we share with our kids that God, will, God is in charge of everything. And we fully believe that. I do. Right. So, so, so we set all that up and then when it didn't seem to be going the way I wanted it to go and little curves began to go here and there. I, I, you know, I, I got worried for what? I forgot who puts people in power. And I had to apologize for God for just that moment. Right? So, so the, here's what this guy does. And just to prove it, look at what it says. Power comes from the Lord, right? Your sphere, your power, your, your, your impact of influence is given to you by God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. There is no authority except from Psalm 62, 11. Power belongs to... You can't beat it. Right? We just gotta open our eyes and see it. You remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? King of Babylon and Daniel comes and, and he interprets it for him and all this. Scripture says this, that when he interprets the dream, he said, God changes the times and the seasons. He removes and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Who does all that? God! He's flat out telling him, man, you only here because God's letting you be here. And when God is done with you, he'll bump you right on out and put another guy in charge. Right? Understand this. And because that's true, Now, now part of that, understand, God appointed leaders here thinking, so this is the way God, I'm not saying that's the way God wanted you to vote, whichever way you vote, I don't care. Okay? What I want us to realize is this, God will use everything for His purposes and His glory. And some of it's slapping you square in the back of the head because we've been idiots for too long. I'm serious. Okay? And that doesn't go anything with a presidential election, that goes with your own houses first. It starts in your house. Okay? So, so as we go through this thing, here's what it says, or here's what we need to make sure we understand. What He's telling everybody to do is this. You never really had any power to begin with. Can you imagine telling the king that you never really had any power? The only power you have is delegated power, right? The only authority you got is assigned authority. Do, do we look at our positions that way? Do you look at your money that way? It's one of the one of the best lessons I've ever learned about the shop that, that I have to give Mr. Bill to, the, the 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 credit for for teaching. We, we we we've always said like it ain't ours. It's not. It's just a way we're doing stewardship for people. Everybody's gonna need tires until they invent a car that flies. So it's so it's a way. Which please don't let be in my lifetime because my living right. Yeah. So, so 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 that's what it is. When we see people in good times. We see people in bad times, and it's just awesome that God uses and Do so so we've got assigned authority. We got delegated power, right? Delegated and assigned by who? Not no people. Not no bloodline. God. Okay. So so here's where it goes, and here's the biggest warning. So, so, and, in, in this, this ties in so much with Wednesday nights too. So if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you can draw a lot of lines here too. Here's the warning. Power intoxicates us. Power intoxicates us. When you're from control country, a perfect country, you know, if you're wondering, I, I thought we was from America, give us on Wednesday night, we'll tell you what country you're from, right? You, you got, you got all that going. We need to understand this. Power intoxicates us. It grips a person and chokes the life out of them. Meaning this, you take a person who, who fell into an addiction to alcohol. They can recover. But a person who's addicted to power, really hard to recover. Think about it when they lose that or, or something goes bad in them, right? Now, you associate that. And here, here's what you're saying. That associated fear, the fear of losing power, is also the fear of losing control. You're worried about losing control of the situation. Some of the things we do in our walk and some of the things we don't do in our walk that we should be doing is because we're afraid of losing control. We don't want to lose control of, of what we've got, right? There's There was an article of Psychology Today. And it said, the fear of losing control is one of the most prevalent fears of people of America today. So I dug a little deeper in this, and, and, and you need to understand it this way before we even get to the line I want to use. It says, this is the fear that if you don't manage or control the outcome of future events, something terrible will happen. Now, you just pause for a minute and think. Some of the things you're afraid of, your worries, I don't care if it's a treatment coming up. I don't care if it's a brother in the hospital. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's a future marriage. One of the things I do with, with, with couples before they get married, if we go through premarital counseling, I make them write down three fears. Let's go ahead and figure out what the fears are right now, so we're aware of. Them. You got to be aware of them so that you can stay away from them, right? Or the thing, there's write down button pushers. You know, you so you stay the heck away from that button, not so that you push the button, right? And, and, and here's what we do. And we need to understand this. And here's what it says: the key to overcoming this, the key to overcoming this kind of fear, is to let go of the demand for certainty. Now, that's easier said than done, right? To let go of the demand for certainty. I don't want to let go. I want to be certain that I know what's going to happen, right? No, you got to let go of that. This guy, Jeroboam, he's a control freak. He is. And his biggest problem, there's so many things that are out of our control and there's so many things that are in our control. And we need to make sure we understand the difference between the two. Meaning this way, you cannot control the length of your life. You ain't got that much power, but you can control the depth of your life, Right? You can't control the weather, but you can control the moral and spiritual atmosphere that you allow yourself to be in. Right. You, you you cannot control another person's fault, but you can control your reaction to the fault. Right. So you can say it this way. You control the outlook and let God control the outcome. You control your outlook and let God control the outcome. What it means is we ought to be praying, Father God, help me to control my outlook and I'm going to trust in you to control the outcome. All right. So, so he let that fear come in. And that stopped that. So here's the second thing he does. So he had a fear of losing power. First mistake. Second mistake, he stopped trusting God. Look back at 25. I read over 25 and, and totally missed it until I started it. Like I told Steve, we had to tie other chapters together to get everything. Verse 25, what does it say? Jeroboam built Shechem on the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built, uh, Pino. What, what's he really doing here? We make sure we understand what he's doing so that we can understand where he is struggling, right? His first move as, as a new king is to fortify the cities that control the caravan caravan routes, right? So, so what he's doing is he's setting up these, these, these fortresses. He's like, that way they can't attack me. I mean, think, the, the kingdom's just been divided. He's got a lot of fear that he's already that he admits to. So, so his first thing is I need to set up these things. So here, here's where I struggle with it because I'm thinking, man, God, that seems like a good king. Like, I I want a king who's going to set up fortresses to protect, right, defense things, right? Here's the problem. He's worried about, and we get this because of other things that he does. So this isn't like you couldn't get it in just one line. You got to first go back to his promise and and then he he wants to defend his sovereignty so bad that the very first thing he does is not get people back on the right track. It's not, hey, we're now divided. Let's get unified again. Not Not anything that, that should matter. His first thing is to worry about attacks coming from the other tribes. When And understand this, and here's what you got to remember. God had made this king a very specific promise when we read it. So if you go back to chapter 11, one chapter where we were last week, verse 35, here's what he told him. In verse 35, he says this. I will take 10 tribes of the kingdom from his son, and I will give them to you. God is writing him a blank check, guys. I mean, he's flat out telling Jeroboam, you know, this is this is what I mean. I'm going to take the kingdom out of Solomon's son's hands, Rehoboam, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you ten of the tribes, right? So, so God say I'm going to give you this as a gift. That this is going to be my gift to you. And, and He goes on to say, why He's only doing the ten, uh, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I've chosen for myself to put my name there, and, and I will also take you and you shall reign over all these things. So, so He gets through all this. He's saying, I want Solomon or King David's bloodline to to have this little bit, but I'm going to give you. This big majority, right? Look at it. Look at what it says. If you heed all that I command you. all those conditions. dang it. Right? If you heed. If you listen to what I say. Oh, man, another condition, right? If you walk in my ways. If you do what is right in my sight. If you keep my statutes and my commands. Man. Then I will be with you and I will give Israel to you. We get so many promises from God. God writes us so many blank checks that we forget to take to the bank and do our part on. So you got your part to do something. Now, now, this isn't like me writing you a check, okay? This is God writing you a check. I mean, I'll write, anybody want a million dollar check? Four people. I will write all of you one right after church. See me at the back. I'll write, uh, no problem at all. I promise. You want one? I'll write one. It ain't no problem at all. Who else wants one? That's it? You want one? Anybody else? You want two of them. I'll write you two of them. Don't bother me at all. Because see, I can write blank checks for a million dollars all day long, even sign them, and you got the problem when you finally get to the bank. That bank's going to laugh at you. They see my little account, and, <laughs> and all y'all running up in there with million-dollar checks. Now, I know some people, I fell in line, God has blessed me to meet some, some pretty successful people in life. I know some people that could write a million-dollar check. And if they write that million-dollar check and they hand it to you, it's still no good until you do what? Take it to the bank. This is this guy's problem. God's giving him a blank check, and he doesn't go cash it. Look at what he tells you. I'm going to write you this check. This is no problem. But you got a condition you got to do. And that condition is like going to the bank. Okay? You, you, you've got to follow through on this stuff. So so what's his failure? His, favorite? his favorite is he didn't take it to the bank. He didn't cash the check. He didn't trust in the promises that God gave him. God said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to set you up. I'm going to make you succeed. But the first thing he does is what? I want to build my own defenses. Have we been there? Have we been there where we forgot about the trust of God and we forget about the power of God and we forget what God promises us and we start setting up our own defenses? I think a lot of us have gotten in a lot of trouble by setting up our own defenses. It started some of our downward spirals by by setting up our own little accounts and setting up our own little safety nets and doing it this way. and doing, Because why? It feels good to be in control of those things. Right. Like I, I don't. trust Well, here's what you're saying. You don't want to say it. Here's what you're honestly saying. God, I don't trust you enough to do it your way. So I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to a little bit of it this way and have a safety net for myself. Right. that That's what he's doing. And you can always tell, understand this, you can always tell how mature, immature a Christian is by how they treat the promises of God. Best test you can go through, right? Ask a person, what do you do with the promises of God? Let's see if any of you fall for it. What do you do with the promises of God when you see them in Scripture? Anybody? Speak them, okay, that's a good one. What is it? Pray them, yeah, that's a good one. You know what a lot of us do that I think we're not thinking about, or at least I used to do? Highlight them. What good does that do? <laughs> She's like, oh, that's me. Yeah, you're the dummy. Right? <laughs> but I love you. Yeah. That's what we do. If all you do is highlight the promises of God in Scripture, what is that accomplishing? Now, don't get me wrong. I highlight a lot of stuff, too, and have a lot of notes and go back. Right? But we need people who are going to take the promises of God and say, I'm taking it to the bank. I'm not just highlighting them. I'm not even just going to talk about them. I'm taking them straight to the bank. Right and that, that's where we need to be. And I think that's some of the, the, the stuff we get into. Another another tell all when you're fearful and nervous as a believer, when anxiety takes over, that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. The world is watching you when you've got all those emotions going on. They don't want what you got. Think about it. I've started praying the last few weeks as a been in Kings, that God will fill you up so much that you got to release something when You get outside. I mean, that's specifically how I've been praying it. Like you'll get so full, like you can't keep it all in, so you gotta let it out. It's almost like I got I want you to fill them up so much, but it forces them to get outside and share something with somebody. Whatever it is, right? When you're so filled with fearful, nervous, and anxiety, the world don't want that. They're gonna run away from you if you try to give them that. They got enough of that outside, right? That means you don't believe the promises of God. Now, a believer who's calm, who's confident, oh, that speaks volumes somebody who doesn't get upset about what things are going on, somebody who don't get upset about the atmosphere they're in and the pressure that's changing and all that stuff, get them in a bad situation and they still react well. Oh, that speaks volumes. That's good stuff. I shared Wednesday night that Pac-Man had dropped a paint can in the living room. My first reaction wasn't the best. But then he made this statement. I'm so glad you're from peace country. When you hear that statement, you got to change the way you act. Right. So so I quickly gathered myself. I had my 45 second explosion and I gathered it back in and we cleaned up. And, and it was funny because even at the end, I'm telling you, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. We had a one gallon paint can that exploded. When I say exploded, it exploded all over the living room. Cause I was trying to do something super nice and, and sweet for my beautiful bride. And, and that was the dumbest idea I ever had. Oh, uh, you know, so so I'm doing that and I got it all going. This one gallon turned into 82 gallons. I swear, like it was like the Lord had multiplied it to teach more lessons. Oh, uh, so I got 82 gallons of a one gallon white paint all over the living room, which we have brown for. Somebody said, like, Oh, white, that's good. No, it doesn't match brown. Oh, uh, right? So, <laughs> so that's all over everything. When I finally gathered myself back down, got back to peace country, I got a little bit out. I got, what'd you call it earlier? Oh, come on, man. You had good stuff and you're not going to share it? War country. I'll remind you. War country. So I went to war country for just a minute, 45 seconds, and then I got back to peace country, right? But when I got back to it, we cleaned it up. It was so perfect time. this is how Lord works. We was cleaning this thing up. And Crystal walks in at the very last minute while we we finally see brown again and not white. Now, she knew what we was doing. because We had spray cans and toothbrushes and napkins and, and towels and we had. We had everything. Trash bags full of stuff. Right. But well, we got it accomplished. But how often is it that we let something like that just ruin everything? Now, we shouldn't even let it ruin the one minute. I, I failed on that part. But. But what if I just let that ruin? It? I was, here's the sad part. I was getting ready to go in to pre-marriage counseling right after that. That was like quarter to five, five o'clock. I got a premarriage counseling meeting, right? Could you imagine me rolling up in there from war country into premarriage counseling with somebody? Oh, I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to fight them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you ought to just let them have it. You ought to throw them, you know, throw an elbow here, drop from the top rope, take them out. You don't want to get married. Marriage is horrible, right? What if I went in like that? Nah, I got back to peace country, so I go in and tell them marriage is great. (laughs) I'm lying to you. Right, ride it (laughs) out. Luckily, that night we were talking about sex, so it was all good. (laughs) But, But that's what we do sometimes, man. And the way we react to stuff speaks volumes about what we really believe. It shows us the maturity or the immaturity of a believer. We need to understand that, right? Psalm chapter 20, David writes, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh." What are you trusting in? What are you really trusting? Jeremiah 17, 5. Is the man who trusts in man and makes the flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Man, if you were waiting on the election to make your life better, you were already set up for failure. No matter how it went. No matter how it went, you were set up for failure. Seriously. If you're waiting on your next job to make your life a success, you're already set up for failure. If you're waiting on your bank account, you've already set up for failure. I hate to say it this way, but here's the truth: If you're waiting on your next boyfriend or girlfriend to come into your life and make it successful, you're already set up for failure. The only difference is you're going to take that person down the failure road with you, and then you're going to bring children into it and set them up for failure, and it's going to continue. If you're not right yourself, what makes you think you can get with somebody else who ain't right? And then what makes you think you can have other little kids that ain't right? Right? Be careful, man. His heart departed from the Lord and it's shown in his failure to trust God's promises. He failed to trust God's promises. So that leads us to the third one. What did he trust in? If he didn't trust in God, what did he trust in? Here's what it says. You can write it down this way. He followed his own heart. You want to lead yourself to idolatry and destruction? Trust in your own heart. Verse 26. Jeroboam said, said, said what? Said in his. you got your Bibles. You could, you could almost underline the biggest problem. It says in his heart. In his heart. Now, here's a guy that's, that's mulling over, like stirring things up in his own mind. He's thinking about what he wants to do. It's all inward. Notice that everything we do starts inward. So he's mulling all this on the inside. Then we go down to verse 28, and it says, therefore, the, the king asked advice. So he's falling in the same trap that Solomon's son fell into because he's going to ask advice. Now, we don't get the, the full thing. He either asked multiple groups till he got what he wanted or the first group he asked was wrong. I don't know. But we know we got bad advice because what's he do right after that? He makes two calves, Right? So, 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 so it stirred inside. Then he brought others along. There's the problem. We want to bring other people into our destruction. So he brings other along. Not the best people because they fall into making it. Verse 33. Uh, so he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month. Uh, the month which he had, watch this, devised in his own heart. There it is again. He just picked a month. Don't do it God's way. Just do it your way. Right? That's what he's doing. Now, now listen, here, here's what Jeroboam's doing. He's doing whatever felt good instead of whatever God said was good. Now if that don't apply to us on almost a daily basis. How many times do we do what feels good rather than what God says is good? Right? You see the difference? How many times have you heard people say, follow your heart? Right? We hear it all the time. Follow your heart. Just do what's in your heart. If you do what's in your heart, you can't go wrong. That's horrible advice. And and here's why: you don't even have to be a believer. I'm a, I'm gonna show you with scripture why it's horrible. But even from an unbelieving standpoint, if I tell everybody, everybody, all of you guys, do what's in your heart, 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 y'all can all do the same thing. Lord, no. What we got? 60 people, 70 people this morning. We got 75 ideas. Right? Because yours is different than hers. Hers is different. Than hers, hers is different. Hers. If we, even from a human standpoint, without scripture involved at all, that's a dumb idea. If everybody's running around doing what they want to do, what do we have? We've got chapter Judges or book of Judges again is what we got. I mean, literally, that's what we got. What does it say in Judges? And the people did what was good to them, right? Now, scripture says this just to show how how smart God is in case you didn't know it. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful. How deceitful is it? Read this. Deceitful above all things. Now, you really want to put all your eggs in the heart when Scripture's telling you that the heart is the most deceitful thing there is. Really? Then it goes on and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, does that sound like something you want to put all your all your hopes and dreams in? Right. Doing what's in people's heart is what causes all their problems. Doing what's in your heart is what separates things in marriage. That's what wars and clashes come out to you, right? I mean, we're literally sounding just like judges at this point. The human heart needs to be steered by the divine will of God. And if he's not the one steering the the, the, the steering wheel of the heart, there's trouble. I tell you right now, my heart needs his head, his leadership, and his direction. And the minute one of those things go away, we in a heap of trouble. You know, it's funny because one of the very first verses we learn when we become believers, when we, when we, when we get on board with, with doing things in God's kingdom, God's way, we go to Proverbs chapter three, which is smart to learn from somebody who didn't, right? And it says, trust in the Lord with what? All your, lean not on your understanding, but all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. We, we tell every new believer it, we learn it, we, we go over it, and then about six months later we quit following Right? Because we realize, oh man, when we do that, I, I get it fear of the unknown. I get fear of a lack of control. I, I don't begin to trust. We got all, all that going on, right? That's what, happens. That's what happens. This is so true with worship, guys. He, he, here, here's where it gets real sad. I told you about this song, so, so we're going to try to get to it a little bit now. Jeremiah changed the whole system of worship? He, I don't know if you catch it. He changes the entire worship system. And one of the most dangerous ideas in the world is that we worship God the way we see fit. Really, I'm telling you right now, it's one of the most dangerous things we can do. We we worship God, and here's here's why: because the only worship God accepts is the worship God directs. God will only accept what He's directed. If He didn't direct it, He ain't going to accept it. So we wonder sometime why we we've gotten. I'm not I'm not picking on, just being honest with the results of life. Okay, we wonder sometimes why well, we've got mega. Mega rallies and, and, and mega church services with smoke coming out and, and neon lights firing everywhere and, and flashers and all this cool stuff. And we wonder why they don't make it to Tuesday before they're having a nervous breakdown. Because they're probably not worshiping the way God has called them to worship. Right now, I know some more, I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying we need to understand that there's a difference. Right. God has told us directly who he is and in telling us who he is. He tells us how he's to be responded to. It's not like a guessing game. God tells us how he's to be worshiped the worship that God accepts is the worship that God directs. so so that's what leads us to this next thing the last thing which i'm a, I'm gonna combine with the end of three here. So we've got uh he feared losing power he feared he failed trusting God he followed his own heart and then he forsakes God's word I told you that was coming. So he gets all this this is a downward spiral. so we knew it was coming against God's word right God laid out exactly how he's supposed to be responded to. He, he laid out exactly what what he wanted how he expected it and, and all this stuff. Jeroboam takes the people from divine revelation and it goes to human imagination. That's what he's doing. Because he, he, he says, it, I'm going to do it my way, right? First thing he changes, the object of worship. Look at verse 28. So you kind of you get two or three little things in this last part, right? Verse 28 says this. So the king sought advice. Now, again, I don't know how many times he had to go seek advice to get it, but we know he eventually got bad advice. Because then it follows with, then he made two gold calves. And he said to the people, going down to Jerusalem is too difficult for you. It's too hard for you to get up in the morning and go to church. You're tired. You had a hard week. Okay? You, you, you deserve to sit in your bed and watch church on the internet. Just bring your computer right there to you. Some of you out now watching ain't liking this. <laughs> get out of the bed and go to the living room at least. Right? <laughs> it's too difficult for you to go down to Israel. Here. Here is your God. Now what's he pointing to? Don't miss it. you got you got to picture this one. If you don't picture it, you're in trouble, right? He's made these two calves. He's sitting there. It's too difficult for you to go and do what you're supposed to do. Where are you supposed to do it? How are you supposed to do it? Here is your God, two calves. Now, now understand this, guys. Understand this. At this point, they're not worshiping calves. They're not. I don't want you to miss that part. I'm not telling you that they came and they thought these calves were like gods and they were going. That's not that's not what happens. It sounds really familiar to what happens in Exodus 32. Alright, Exodus 32, for those of you who probably never read it, or at least don't remember it, you've got this guy, Aaron. Moses goes up on the, on Mount Sinai, he's getting the Ten Commandments from God, and along with the, the rest of the laws, he comes down, there's this golden calf. Holy crap. Right? Like, like I'm the other guy, and you guys are doing this, right? Aaron says, this, notice what he says, man, he gotta go back to Exodus, he, he looks at it, he says, this is the God, now he's capitalized God, so he, so he is at least trying to refer to Yahweh, he says, oh Israel that delivered you out of the land of Egypt. But what's he pointing to? A giant golden calf. Right? It's the same thing going on that is going on in this chapter right here. They've moved from worshiping an invisible God to having an object of God. Right? Now, now here, here's why I need you to understand why this is so important, guys. Here's what we need to learn from this. Any image we make of God takes away from God. That's why it's vital. That's the beginning of why it's vital, at least, right? Think about it. There is no image in the world that could be made that truly reflects all the personalities of God. How many of us, when we sat at the beginning just now after that second song and we listed things, how many of us had different things that we like most about God? A lot of us, right? How many of us, don't, I mean, it, really, you can say it this way. It depends on what I'm going through. You know, this week, you know, you like God's healing. Next week, it might be that you like God's strength so that you don't choke Danny out. Um, You know, you got different things. You got different things that's going on, Right. Think about it, though, seriously. Sometimes it transitions otherwise. You, you need healing, you need medical advice. Next week, it'll be a praise report because he's healed me. Things are doing better, and it's great. And you realize, man, God saved him from the fire because he's got a purpose and a plan for him. Right? So you got all that going on. Here's the problem, and here's what we need to understand, like, exactly what's going on here. Do, do we understand why they used the calf? If, if you hadn't ever studied and checked it out, they the, the, in Egypt, they worshiped Apis the bull. Now, now, the bull was a symbol, a symbol of strength. You think of a bull, it's strong, it's big, it's mighty, right? Makes sense. So they make this this image is supposed to be worship. You come and you you be reminded of the strength of God. Now that sounds good, right? Yeah, like way to go, Jeroboam boom. Lead them to the strength of God. If I only focus on the strength of God, what else have I forgotten? The love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, the grace of God. Come on, shout them out. Healing of God. Strength of God. Oh no, we got strength. That's the bull. Think about it. If you're only focusing on these bulls and the strength of God, here's why it's so vital, guys, why you don't fall into having a graven image of God. It's because you, you, you forget about all the rest of the attributes of God. Now we do this even religiously now. They made them little pretty necklaces that we wear with crosses on them. And I'm not saying a cross is a bad thing because I need to be reminded of the payment for my sin. But, but what do we do if that becomes our graven image of God? What do we only think about? Well, we either only think about his death or our forgiveness, which is two good things, but man, then I forget about all the rest. I think he came more than to save us from sin, right? You, you grab that. If not, we have a lot longer sermon, right? Cause we need to make sure we need just save you. So you don't go to hell. He's not a get out of jail card, right? We need to understand that church. He saved you for so much more. So when the cross be your Bible, your Bible can become a graven image because here's what you do. You, you keep the cover all nice. Made me square a little arm roll on it. Right? Now, if you got a, if you got a cloth cover or something like that, don't put an arm roll on it. would be nasty, right? But for those of us who have real holy Bibles, which is made of leather, we can arm roll ours, right? What does scripture tell me to do with the word of God, though? What is it? Eat it! Right? Now, not literally ripping out pages and chewing on them. But, but what does he get at? I want, I want you, I want you to chew on it. Because when you chew on it, it releases all the enzymes for you to digest. And when you digest it, it gets into your body. So then what it's doing? It's now God inside of me. The Bible don't do no good on the outside. Right? My kids had to collect Bibles for, for what they're doing with um, kids saving today. I, I think they had 20 before I finished getting out the shower. Dad, I got another one. Dad, I got another one. Dad, I got another one. You think that makes us holy? We got 20 Bibles in the house? No. It don't do no good if we don't get them inside of us. We make graven images all the time, guys. Even things that look good, that appear good, that seem good. Even in our marriages, in our families, sometimes we can put our wife or our husband on a pedestal. Yeah, that ain't their pedestal. And the minute they get on that pedestal, that's where failure stops. The minute you put your children on a pedestal, now you can think they golden, they great, and all that fine stuff. Scripture don't tell you they elevate themselves higher than the spouse or higher than God. Right? If Bodhi say it. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a patent that phrase. he just got Bodhi behind it, right? Bodhi says, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. That'll be an ouch. I'll be out because it hurts. And how many times have we struggled with this, right? Our bank accounts, we put them on a put them on number one. Our fame, put them on number one. Our popularity, put that at number one. Our purpose of life, put that at number one. No, God has to be at number one, right? And here's here's what's wrong with that. We, we've we totally missed it. We, we've totally forgot about all the other things that God really is. That's why I want, I want you to make sure you understand this, guys. Even good intentions done for the wrong motives and against God's way don't mean deadly squat. They don't. Your good intentions, they suck sometimes, okay? Let's just, let's just call it like it is. They don't do it, right? God says, don't do it. Isaiah 40. He realized now, Isaiah's got a lot of stuff, right? He talks about how, how the temple, you know, was so full of the Holy Spirit, it was driving things out. He talks about how high he, he realized how high God was, which made him really low when he was the highest man in the in the city. So, like that's that's a big revelation, right? Come forth. Then he says this in Isaiah chapter forty: Who will you liken God to? Who will you liken? You say it this way: What are you going to compare God like? Put it in our language, right? Who are you going to compare God to? Who is it? Is it is it golden calf so that you're reminded of his strength? Is it a cross so you're reminded of forgiveness? Is it a Bible so you're reminded of religiosity? What is it? The answer is none. None. You liken God to nothing. Because when you liken God to something, you shrink in God to something. You understand that? And we don't have the right to shrink God down. Here, Here's where it gets even worse. Look at what he says. Verse 29. He sets up these, these places. So not only has he made these golden caps and he tells them, it's too hard for you guys to... To do this, it's too hard for you guys to do that. So he says in verse 29, I've set up one in Bethel and I've set up one in Dan. What do you mean you set up? I thought we just had chapters where we talked about God's house being made and God blessing a certain house for this kind of thing, right? Well, what do you mean you set up? What's he saying? It's convenient and it's easier. How many times have we done what we want to do because it's convenient and it's easier, right? We go back to picking at those people watching online right now. (laughs) Huh? You don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You can stay at home right there where you're at. Right? It's easier instead of doing what's right. I was going to say writer, but my wife would have told me that's not proper English, huh? Now, now understand. I do understand why he picks Bethel. If you remember, Bethel was um in history. It was a place where Jacob was running from his house, and he lay down at night and he slept, and he had a dream and a vision of ladder going up to heaven, angels coming down from God, and all this stuff. So he says, Bethel means what? House of God. So we got the original house of God set up, right? But here's where his viewpoint's coming from. We've got our own heritage. We don't need theirs. Now, how many how many times we had that in religion? Oh, we got it. We've always done it this way. You've always done it wrong, sweetheart, right? Let's just call it like it is. People all all the time, well, well, the best thing you could ever ask is why you do what you do. I'm serious. I can't tell you how much growth I've had by figuring out why I believe what I believe. Now, some things I can tell you why I believe them, and, and, and I can really understand why I believe them. Some things I said, I don't know why I believe that. It's got to go. All right? think about it. yeah, it's made up, but it sounds good, and we've done it for 30 years. Wrong. That's a dumb reason to do it. It is. So we got to check things out. So, so he's saying my heritage is more important. No, it's not. We're doing it God's ways is more important. Go down to verse 31. He changes the means of worship. Now, now we, we might not catch 31, at least a lot of us. Actually, we're not going to catch 31 or 32 is where I was really going. But 31 says this. He just picked priests for himself. Doesn't that sound like us? We just pick our own priests. Right? What what scripture say? Priests have to come from Levi. Right? Not, not just God, but a specific group of people from God. Right? And think about this. Can you imagine how happy the crowd was, though? Now, here's the sad part. The crowd's ecstatic. Because what's the, what's the priest get to do? They get to go deeper. Right? So the habit Well, who said that special group of people gets to be the only people to go deeper? Now we can all do it, right? Understand, here's the biggest thing, guys. Please hear this. If you get nothing else out of today, please get this. Whenever we lower the standard of those who lead worship, for those who do ministry, for those who are called to serve God, when we lower that standard, we have more unqualified ones pouring in than ever before. Right? Now, Now you apply that not only to leadership, but now you apply it to getting into the kingdom. When you lower the standards for how you get into the kingdom, you now have unqualified people in the kingdom. But what's unqualified people in the kingdom going to lead to? 200 years of misery before the Assyrians take them over. That's what it's going to lead to, right? You wonder why sometimes we stuck in some of the stuff we stuck in. It's because we put ourselves there. We've lowered God's standards to make it easier and convenient. And because it's now easy and convenient, everybody gets in. Right? You ever been to a funeral where somebody actually uh, stood up and said this person's going to hell or this person will cease to exist anymore? I mean, think about it. You laugh, but think about it. Pastor, stand up if he was honest. I don't know why. Pastor's always afraid to lie at a funeral. All of them. Myself included. <laughs> right? Nobody wants to look at the family. <laughs> well, he's gone. <laughs> there ain't no eternity for him. <laughs> and if you believe in that place, hell, he there. <laughs> right? <laughs> That'd be miserable, wouldn't it? So what do we say at all funerals? Better place. My God, if that ain't the patented thing we say at every funeral we go to. What if he's not in a better place? We don't think about it, do we? Because it comforts us. Now, now excuse me if you've dealt with death recently. I I don't want to hurt your feelings. I really don't. But if by realizing that not everybody gets to go to a better place they not everybody. Scripture says that he wants everybody in the kingdom, but not everybody going to get in the kingdom. Right. We need to make sure we preach the right thing because we always quick to say well, God so loved the whole world. Everybody's getting in. No, everybody's not. Right. No, everybody's not. And if somebody's death helps you realize that. Then their death at least had a purpose. OK. Now, I know we don't like that, but that's just that's just reality and that's real. Okay, when we lower the standards, unqualified things come in and unqualified things begin to happen. That's why when we lower the standards for a pastor, when we lower the standards for a worship leader, when when we lower the standards for any position of authority, it doesn't even have to be in the church. Guys, think about it on a worldly view. When we lower the standards of who gets in and who gets to do this, and who gets control of that area, when we do it in business, when we do it in our families, Some of you girls, you you pick a man and you're so surprised that that you get married and life sucks with him when he didn't meet none of the standards. Like God gave you all the standards, but you just picked him at your own standards. Like God had this list, you know, a big old list, nice list. Sounds like the man of my dreams, right? But then you're like, oh, God, there's not a lot of people like that anymore. So I'm going to write my own list. That's not what he says. There's not like a comment at the end that says, but if population gets low of people like this, create your own list. No. But then we do that, then we, well, I don't know why I'm so miserable. We do it with our kids. God says, raise your kids this way, list. Oh God, that's hard. God, that's outdated. God, that, that doesn't fit, that, that makes it really difficult to do and it's not very convenient. So I make my list. No. God didn't say because your little brats were acting like brats to change the standards. He said, beat them. All right. He said, spoiler the royal spirit of yeah, child." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't care how you punish somebody. Says punish them, right? We don't like it, but God is a God of justice, punishment, discipline. He is. I don't know why we like or we're always like afraid to mention that part about God, right? God is love. God, He is those things, but He's not just those things. We do the, that's like making a graven image. It's the same thing when we only focus on all the good attributes and we forget about the others. You're making your own God. You understand that your idol may be something you made and it may have been like you. You thought God was like a butt face. You picked out the attributes you like and created your own one. No, you don't get to cut off parts that you like and keep them and cut off the rest and get rid of them. No, doesn't work that way. All right. Last thing, verse 32, he changes the means of worship and then he changes the time of worship. Now, now this 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 uh, this kind of skips over us a lot, but we need to understand why this is important. Verse 32, he ordained a feast. When? On the fifteenth day of the what? Eighth month. Then he even says it. I love when somebody's dumb enough to write about how dumb they were. Right? Because look at what it says. Now you might not have caught it yet. You might still not catch it. But he says, Light the feast that was in Judah. What does that mean? We talked about this two weeks ago, so if you get it wrong, I will come off this stage on top of the first person I can hit. Y'all better praise God for Mitch answering it. Right. I see y'all pointing to him, right? Feast of Tabernacles. Right? You're thinking, that was, that was, that was my, <laughs> I was coming right for you too, with your little highlighter. I was gonna get it, right? Think about it though! He said, man, in the seventh month, they had, they had this, so I'm gonna create my own in the eighth month. Who gives you the right to create your own time to meet with God? Right? That's what he's doing. Like, hold on. What are you getting at here, right? What does it say? Let's finish, finish the section, right? Uh, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. or uh, that he did at Bethel, sacrifices to the caps that he had made. And at Bethel he installed a priest of high places. So we talked about that making his own. So he made offerings on the altar, which he made at Bethel. Sorry, 15th day of the eighth month. Wait, here's it. Here it is. Which he devised in You read it? His own heart. Our, our, our translation on the screen says that he set up. Well, if he set it up, guess who didn't set it up? Right. Got it? Well, why, why is this such a, like, big deal? What's, what's really going on here? Here's what's wrong, guys. And here's the wrong one. And, and not to say not, not to say that you can't make something holy in every month, no doubt about it, right? But if God told you, we gonna meet on this month, and you decided to meet on another month, is that not disobeying God? The scripture not tell us, you shall obey God. Obey the Lord, right? So if you choose to do it on your own time, Think about even on the New Testament thing. We, we always about that upper room, right? Which I, I love the story. I think it's great, right? What if they was not there? What if they said, you know what, God, we get you next week? I'll tell you what would happen. There wouldn't have been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened Why? Because they were there. You wonder sometimes why you're missing God's blessings. It's because you ain't there. Right? If you're not there, you can't get it. Think about it. If, if somebody set up, think about if you had the dream date of your life. Right? Everything's set up, everything's beautiful, you got, I see y'all looking at each other, y'all so mopey, get out of there, crap. Right? You got all that set up, beautiful candles, wine poured, I mean this, I know y'all Baptist people, y'all can't have wine, so, so the rest of y'all, y'all got some wine poured, you heathens, right? You Pentecostal side, Carlisa, right? She can get some wine <laughs> when she turns 21. Uh, you know, you got all, all that set up and all that going. What if only one person shows up? If you, if you the guy sitting at the table, what you thinking? Crap. (laughs) Most of you guys are thinking this right because this is the way guys are wired. I spent all this money. Nothing. (laughs) Is God not made, are we not made like God? Right? Do we not, do we not have God's attributes? God's character? Aren't we, aren't we made to, to be able to connect? Right? So what do you think God's thinking when we don't show up? Now he's not worried about money because he's got a lot of it. But what's he thinking? All this preparation, all all this I had to give them. It, it'd be it'd be like this. The older we get, we we move away. We have right. what 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 if, what if the grandparents had all these great plans with with gifts for a birthday or whatever holiday you want to do, and you didn't go by and get them? Isn't that the same thing? Same idea, right? It's like people who think they only got to come to church on Christmas and Easter. I had a guy, I don't know if they watch online, so if you watch online, you get your toe stepped to on. just get ready, right? I had a guy stop by the shop, hey man, y'all going to do a Christmas Eve service? Yes, I will. Yes, I will, because anytime I can get people's attention, I'm going to preach to them, right? <laughs> I'm going to take advantage of it, right? Well, no matter what your belief is about that end of the year, I'm going to take advantage of you being an ear that's going to listen to me, right? So, so so, so, yes. And then I started thinking about it, I was like, I ain't seen that guy in church since last Christmas Eve. <laughs> What's the thing? It's like you get it right at the last week of the month and you're good to go for the year? No, but we do that. We do that, right? You've just disobeyed God when you change his time. The only worship God accepts, we said it right. The only worship God accepts is the worship he directs, right? What did Jesus Christ say? The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So we want spirited worshipers who put truth and the intensity in their own spirit, right? Not not just people who's excited, but people who's got truth being their motivation, right? We, We know this truth is what? Revealed in the word of God. When you forsake the word of God, you forsake truth. What what, what was Jesus' patent phrase? Let's see if you all can get it. I promise you it's a phrase he said more than anything else. Satan tempts him and he says it. The disciples come to him and he says it. When he's preaching sermons, he says it. What is it? It is written. Yes, word of God says. It. I'll take that too. Dead on. Amen. That's a holy person y'all sit by, right? It is written. He says it is written 80 times in his ministry. You think if God came to Earth and repeated something eighty times, we ought to listen to it, right? Why, why is He saying it? Because we need to believe what is written, right? We need, we need, and we need to make sure we get it right. Remember when He said it to Satan? Satan was using what was written against Him, so He knows the word so well He can say, "Yeah, but it's also written." Don't don't take it out of context. Don't 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 shave a little off and make it say what you want to say. It's also written. Da da da. Right. This guy makes these four mistakes. Four mistakes that lead a nation, not just himself, but a nation, into this trap. And for those of you who are thinking, yeah, but we don't have a problem with idolatry. First John chapter five says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's New Testament church, guys. For those of you who think there's a difference somewhere in there. Right? That's New Testament church. What does idolatry mean? Idolatry means you place anything in the place of God. Anything. It could be an idea, a hope, a dream, whatever. Anyone or anything that occupies the rightful spot becomes idolatry. It starts inward most of the time and then becomes something outward. Colossians 3, Paul writes, uh, verse 5, put to death your members. (laughs) It's rough now. All right, read it. It's on there. Put to death your members, which are what? On earth, like fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire. Listen to this. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Evil desires, which is idolatry passions that aren't God's which is idolatry if you want anything more than you want God it's idolatry if you want a girlfriend or a boyfriend more than you want God idolatry if you want a career of success if you want a hobby if you want the approval of people if you want any number of things ahead of God it's idolatry one of the biggest lessons I hope we got uh, got ahead of in understanding on our Wednesday night was when we learned about those things we learned about our desires nothing wrong with your desires. It's a passion God gave you. It's great. But you be aware of a pursuit for that passion ahead of God because it becomes idolatry. Right? What do you think about in your quiet moments? Here's a way for you to test it. What do you think about in your quiet moments? Things are quiet. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Don't say it out loud. But just think about it. I, I, I imagine some of you guys have weeks like me where life is just jumbled up. It's crazy. Crazy things going on, whatever. And you feel like it shook up. You take a compass, you shake it up, you sit it on the table, and the quietness, you know where it's going to point? North, as long as it's a working compass. (laughs) One direction, right direction, right? What about you? What about you at the end of the day when things are all crazy, things are are settling down, what does your thoughts point to? Because the Bible says this. There's another phrase we could use a lot. God used, it is written, and pastors use, the Bible says, right? Sunday school teachers use the Bible. The Bible says this, Proverbs 23. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what do you think about? Because Scripture's telling me what you're thinking about in the quiet moments. That, that's for you. Jesus says this. We know this one. No one can serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. Hold the one and, and, and uh reject the other. You can't have two masters, right? Joshua told his people this. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Because for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a choice you got to make, guys. Some of us, some of us are like thirsty and I don't mean like, pastor, please quit talking so that I can get something to drink because I really am thirsty. I'm not talking about physical thirst. Like we're thirsty because we're missing something in our life, right? We're missing something, something that we're missing. Our our thirst just isn't quenched. We tried things and they're not working because you've been trying the wrong things. Scripture tells us how to quench our thirst, right? What did he tell the woman at the well? You remember? What do you tell her? Yeah, I'll give you you something to drink where you won't thirst no more. Because it's going to be living water, right? It's different. Where in our life this morning are we missing? What mistake are we making that's following these guys? What what idol do we have that we don't want to call an idol, but it is an idol? What struggle? What, What problem do we have listening to God, obeying God? Right? What is it? Because today's the day to change it and take advantage of learning from somebody else before you get any worse. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. Lord, I pray that you move in every life in here, Lord God. God, that you take something from this morning. God, we had church before we even had a sermon. So I pray that you take that time, Lord God. Carlos' testimony, Lord God, songs that we sing, praise reports, prayer requests, Lord God. God, moments that we purposely took so that we could run over on time, which I don't even know why we have a time limit when it comes to being with you. But God, we we took those moments so that we could spend it with you and these people, Lord God, to advance your kingdom. So I pray, Lord God, that you take it all and you use it all for your glory, Lord God. God, crush a toe if it needs to be crushed. Get us straight if we need to get straight. Praise us when we need to be praised. Lord, I pray above all else, Lord God, that we heed to your word, that we kick fear out that we follow your way, your time, your rules, your authority. Lord, do we acknowledge the fact that we're only in charge of things that you allow us to be in charge of. And others, Lord God, are only in charge because you allow them to be in charge. Father God, help us to rely on you above everything else in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.